Dean Hearn Chen, and you're listening to Southeast Asia, etc. This is a podcast about current events happening around the region. And I started it because I wanted my colleagues to essentially just explain some things to me. This episode is on Thailand. For the past four years, Thailand has been ruled under a military government. The junta took over the country in a coup in 2014 after months of protests against Inglak Shinawatra, who was prime minister at the time. These anti-government protests, which got pretty violent sometimes, began because Inglak proposed an amnesty bill that would have pardoned her brother, Thaksin Shinawatra, and allowed him to return to Thailand. Now, if you follow even a little bit of Thai politics, Tuxin is a name that you will hear coming up over and over again. He is one of the most divisive figures in the country. He became prime minister in 2001 on populist promises, uh, some of which are a reality today because of him, like universal health care, for example. But he was also a flawed politician. People started to protest against his government because of several corruption scandals. By 2006, the military staged a coup to remove him from power. Since then, he's been sentenced to jail for abuse of power, though he never served the term because he fled the country and has been in self-imposed exile. He's a billionaire, so, you know, he can do that. Anyway, that's why Inglak, his sister, wanted to propose this amnesty bill. The result is that anti-toxinists, which are known as yellow shirts, took to the streets to protest it. They clashed with people who were pro-toxin, known as the red shirts, and with the police as well. So, again, the military staged a coup, and Inglak fled the country last year, right before she was sentenced to prison. Today, Thailand's prime minister is General Prayut Chanocha. He's a career military man and the head of Thailand's National Council for Peace and Order, the NCPO, which is like the political name for the junta. When he came into power after overthrowing Inglak's government, Prayut promised that Thailand would host elections, but that has been postponed over and over again. As the junta enters its fifth year ruling Thailand, Prayut has been facing more pressure for these elections to happen. February 2019 is the most recent new date set for it, though people are kind of skeptical about whether or not it's going to happen. So for this episode, I spoke with Saksit Sayasomba. He is a Thailand correspondent for Channel News Asia. But before he landed that gig, he was a political blogger who analyzed and observed politics within the country, which kind of makes him the perfect person to explain to me the craziness that is Thai politics. We spoke about his upbringing and about what democracy means under a junta-led government. I think it all starts when um, my parents moved to Germany um, 30 years ago, over 30 years ago, before I was born. Mm. And... Um, despite being so far away from their home, they still wanted to keep taps with what was going on in Thailand. Oh, so they were quite politically interested in Yes, Europe. exactly. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, back in the 80s in Germany, uh, it wasn't easy to get hold of anything. You know, they were trying to get 
like a week old copy of a newspaper through mm-hmm. some friends or sometimes even a VHS, a VHS recording of a newscast. And uh, once the internet came around, things got a lot more easier for them. Uh, it was at the same time when uh, Taksin Shinawat came to the scene in 2000. Uh, mm-hmm. um, already somewhat of a seasoned politician, uh, but also a very dynamic braggadocious, you might even say, mm-hmm. a completely new style in Thai politics that has never seen before. And that was uh, already at that point quite a controversial figure. Mm-hmm. You know, it was debated amongst my fa- family, among my friends and my f- uh, parents as well. And that's the first time that I consciously uh, was aware about Thai politics. And I think that's the moment that I started following it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, as things heated up uh, and we uh, get, got more and more information uh, in Germany, thanks to new technologies, uh, I got more invested in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so were my parents. And then I started like, why don't I want to do something about Thai politics, you know, because nobody else is doing that. Mm-hmm. And um, so I signed up for university, was studying Southeast Asian studies um, in Hamburg, at the University of Hamburg in Germany, um, still and became more and more interested in Thai politics and became more and more distracted by Thai politics. Yeah. Uh, so much so, so that... So what years yeah. were those when you were studying and things were heating up in Thailand? 2006, 2007. Okay. So right after the military coup of 2006, um, the first one in about 20 years that uh, ousted Thaksin Shinawat, set yeah. prime minister. Um, and that's probably, I would also say, is one of the biggest fault lines in the Thai political conflict that this military coup has created many of the polarization and the problems that we still have today. Yeah. Do you see any sort of uh, differences between the current military regime and the previous ones that you've seen in the past, that you've observed in the past? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, a military government is a military government. You know, it, it is something that, uh, that comes with the territory. Since the last military coup of 2014, um, it was very clear that they want to take over the narrative that they want to have only their own um, narrative to be the sovereign one. Mm-hmm. They tried as much as they can to either suppress or compete against uh, any story or any narrative that goes against their own. And they were really aggressive against the foreign media as well. Yeah. To, to a point that I talked to some older colleagues and they said they, they never had that in 20, 30 years that the mili- military government would be acting that aggressive against the foreign media. Saksit started writing for the Asian Correspondent website as part of a collective called Siam Voices. Current affairs, society, uh, culture. Mm-hmm. We were trying, really trying to cover the, uh, the, the broad spectrum of the political, social and economic realities that were in contemporary Thailand. And in 2016, he got the correspondent job with Channel News Asia. I've been there since two years. Yeah, and that was sort of when, two years after the the coup happened? That was two years after the coup happened, mm-hmm. exactly. That so was it was sort of like heating up, like the yeah. prospect of like, oh, when's the next election? Exactly, next election? exactly, yeah. election? exactly. And I think it's gotten better. I mean, sure, everything goes, goes better when they were at zero. But, <laughs> uh, no, but, but kidding aside, I think that the, that the military, now that they are in power for uh, four years, have understood that it's very counterproductive to mm-hmm. to be to agitate against the media directly head on, you know, especially with the foreign media. Mm-hmm. So instead, they are being a little bit more constructive, as in um, trying to make their own news or trying to 
get the message to be more positive about their own message. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, which is, which is, which is another way of saying they start actually realizing that they need to do their own PR. Yeah. Yeah. Which is they're sort of like the face of their whole operation. So exactly, they got to put their best face forward. Exactly. What do you think the average Thai looks at the military? Like, what's their point of view of them? I think in order to answer this question, you got to take a further step back or take a look at it from a higher angle, mm-hmm. because it's not just about the military. It's just about the state. It's just about the state of politics in general in Thailand, because. Things, Thai politics is just Crazy. shambolic, <laughs> omni-shambolic in certain in certain ways, mm-hmm. because it it is po- it is such a polarized situation. It is such a um, fractionous, divided topic for many people. So much so that most people choose not to partake in it. Mm. They just say it's not for me, mm-hmm. you know. But that's something that has always been on the mindset for many people. That politics, Thai politics, is always something that takes place in different spheres on them and does not really affect their direct lives. Mm. There's a word in Thai that uh, there's a phrase in Thai that says "lenkanmung," to play politics, mm. and it implies that politicians, whether directly uh, democratically elected or not, they do their own thing. They're not us, you know. They're their own caste. They're their own people that do their own thing. So we better stay. Uh, uh, stay out of the way. One would say it might be a cynical take about Thai politics that people are resigned to the fact that nothing is going to change. But it also points to the fact that there is a different mindset in Thai politics that still really is based on this concept of seniority. Mm. That, you know, somebody who is of a certain age that can do certain things because he is a senior figure. Not senior as in rank, but senior as in age. And with that comes the rank itself and the position in society. And um, there's very little accountability to that as well. And I think that is why people are so so disenchanted from Thai politics. So that really isn't... So having a military government now doesn't really change much to, to change that mindset. I think that is really something that has done to the mindset of people of Thai people with regards to politics, as in, you know, there have been so many protests, there have been so many changing governments, whether democratically or not, that people just want a break. They are just tired and exhausted of this, um, this polarization and this political crisis that they say, you know what, it might be a military government, but at least things are going to come and there's no protest mm-hmm. on the street and people are not dying. So the NCPO was sort of seen as a break, a little bit of a break. It, a, a break, necessary or not, maybe, but also certain as in, um, yeah, you, you could say that certain certain people would say uh, at least there's no protest, at least there are no, no, nobody gets killed. Mm. You know, at, yes, yeah, democracy is dead, but at least there's there's peace. What What do you think um, people? want out of democracy because I think every single country has very different ideals or idea of what democracy entails so what do you think like Thai people think that entails well that's a, that's a good question because you never really can say that the general Thai uh, you can really never really say the general Thai people want democracy to be like this because mm-hmm. the problem with Thai, uh, democracy in Thailand is it never had the time to flourish mm-hmm. it never had the time to grow up and um, mature because up until that point, up until you know 2006, Thai democracy as we know it at that time was just barely 10 years old. 
you know, beginning with the um, establishment of the 1997 constitution that was uh, heralded as the most democratic to date at that time. And uh, that has introduced a lot of checks and balances, a lot of very demo uh, many democratic structures. The problem to that point is that many of these structures and checks and balances have either failed or were undermined. And um, then from that point on, all legislation and all rules that have been set up were with a certain bias in mind. Mm -hmm. And that is against Tuxin. Yeah. yeah. To not let him come back to power. Because so he's sort of been that block in the middle exactly. of the entire landscape. The boogeyman, so to speak. So what, uh, what ties one for democracy is, yeah, it can be said in a straight answer. Some people really strive for that, for that Western liberal democracy idea that we have. Other people just want a strong man to take reign of the country. And other people just want this country not to go down the drain, whatever, whatever it takes. Mm. So it's not about what people want out of democracy. I think the question is more what people do want in a, in a, in a government just in general mm -hmm. rather than the form of governments. Mm -hmm. Now that the military has been in power for four years, do you think that people are starting to shift their expectations for what they want in the government going into the, into the next proposed election date of February 2019? I think so, because um, now that people have gotten used to this government, they are also seeing that even a military government cannot work, it cannot do miracles. Mm. You know, the problems are still the same. The mm. problems that Thailand faces are still the same, even if a military government can do whatever executive order that they want, they can't really solve all the problems with a snap of a finger. You know, I mean, sure, economy is doing doing okay. GDP is at 4%. Um, again, everything's better when you start at zero. <laughs> Exports are rising, and um, invest, uh, foreign direct investment is rising again. The problem is, it doesn't trickle down. Mm. You know, and if, if people see that money does not trickle down to them and if it really starts to affect their livelihood again no matter what government then people will become unhappy that is that is really something that um that could come by back any government if mm. they're really not careful so are are people shifting the expectations of a government yes i think so and now that rule and order have been established and have been maintained uh, in the first two years i think people are now shifting towards the expectations towards, okay, so how can this military government do economically? How is their economic policy? What is their long-term goal to make our country more um, more richer more uh, or just better economically and to compete mm -hmm. with other countries, especially now that we have the ASEAN economic zone? The question is really, you know, what is Thailand's role in this globalized economy, you know, and how much do we need change in order not to fall behind. So the two main political pillars have been, I guess, the Democrat Party and uh, any toxin-related party, so yeah. Poi Thai or... Or, or, even, or even broader, any toxin-related party and anybody who's against this toxin-related party. <laughs> so it's just not the Democrat Party. Yeah. You know, there are so many more behind, more that are against toxin and, or any toxin-affiliated um body or entity. And then now there's the military party. Well, the military is obviously in the camp of anti-Taxin. Yeah. You know, the anti-Taxin camp is huge. It's very broad. It's very diverse. 
Mm. There is some overlap, but they're not all the same. Why do you think he's such a like divisive figure?、Mm. Like, what does his、um, proponents say? What do his、um, oppositions say? I think that there, there 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 are many many different layers to that.、Um, the, the first the first point is Thaksin himself,、mm. his style of politics when he came to the scene. You know something something that is、uh, that has been only seen in Western politics. So I think the most similar figure is、uh, Nicolas Sarkozy of France、mm. when he came to the scene. Also very high packed, very you know very can do, want do all kind of thing,、mm. uh, and also with a with a huge portion、uh, with a huge、uh, portion of braggadocious. Yeah, that is something that is、um, really unprecedented in Thai politics. But then again, what Thaksin's party did not not necessarily himself is to really start analyzing and pinpoint. Where the strongest voter base and support base is for him, and he identified that there is an untapped voter base in the north and northeast. All these so-called populist policies, he didn't do it for altruism. He did that because he knows that there's a voter base that everybody forgot about.、Mm-hmm. So, and that's why this myth of that Isan and the north are all Taksin loyal. Yeah, sure, they are loyal to Taksin. You know, because he was the first politician or first. First prime minister who did directly tailor his policies to them.、Mm-hmm. It was not something like they had to wait for、uh, for some Bangkok centric policy to trickle down to them. They realized that participating in democracy has a direct result on their livelihood if they vote for the right person. So that is, in a nutshell, why so many people are still drawn to Taksin or any of his successor parties. And with that comes the other problem that. Some people that are against Thaksin would argue that the country becomes decentralized. That for some people still think that Bangkok is the center of the universe in so many ways, and also politically,、mm-hmm. and they don't agree that why should somebody who's so far away have more power、uh, over the electorate than that I do? You、mm-hmm. know, which is kind of ironic because that's、uh, that's what they think the other way around too. What、uh, do you mean?、Um, well, the the well the people the people up north in, in the northeast would say,、yeah. why should somebody in Bangkok、oh, decide over、uh, us? Yeah. And I think that that is the crux of the、uh, that is that is the crux of this whole thing, saying that that they really they don't see eye to eye as in this one man one one vote thing,、mm. that we, that everybody should be equal in front of the law or、mm. in front of the constitution, whereas in reality it is not. You know, there has been a lot of talk of these newer, younger political parties or、mm-hmm. politicians. Yeah, what do you think they could add to this whole process? Well, I mean, it's refreshing to have a third, a third, a third voice、mm. in this whole polarization.、Um, I mean, I had the pleasure to interview Tanaton Jungrungrungkit, who is、um, the face of the, the Future Forward Party. It is, for Thai standards, an extremely progressive party.、Mm. Some would say too progressive for Thai standards.、Um, what's 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 crazy about him? What's crazy about this is、uh, that <laughs> that they want to, for example, first of all, to chase the military back to the barracks. That they should not have any political influence whatsoever.、Mm. You know, I mean, the problem isn't、uh, the problem with Thai politics is that the military has always been a political actor. You、yeah. know, no matter what. In other countries, it is it is under the government、mm. or under the parliament. In Thailand, it is not. It is its own entity, and some would say a loose cannon.、Uh, no pun intended.、Um, <laughs> so, um, so, so, yeah. Thailand、uh, is openly against the military and any of their political legacies. 
uh, he wants to get rid of any of the political legacies. For example, the current constitution that was set up by the military, even though approved by a public referendum um, two years ago. Uh, he wants to well, not only have a new constitution, he wants to have more direct democracy elements. Mm. He wants to have more more equalities uh, across the nation and across the social structures as well. And uh, his founding members are all kind of uh, representing all that as well. You have all kinds of social activists. He is thinking beyond the usual political fringes. Mm-hmm. You know, Does he have a chance? Uh, no. I mean, he doesn't have a chance to win this whole thing because the, the cards are too much stuck against him and his party. Mm. However, you know, you have to keep in mind, the last actual real democratic election was in 2011. So, and we will have elections, hopefully, mm. next year. So that's eight years of people that haven't voted yet. But young, internet-savvy, forward-thinking, progressive-thinking young people, urban as well, you know, if he can really get those, I think he can get he can he can really get a sizable amount of seats in the parliament, mm. which would be already quite a victory for an upstart party like him, you know. And apart from that, yeah, there, there are also so many new political parties. Uh, popping up left, right, and center. But then you have this phenomenon that we already have seen previously before after the military coup that so many new political parties would pop up with the essence of trying to prolong the military rule in some shape or form. You know, those are either people that are sympathetic to the military government or people that have some connections to the military government with the sole purpose to have this military government carry on in, in, in a, with a democratic mandate. You know, we had that before. None of them turn out to be, uh, t- none of them turn out well. But then also you have this other phenomenon that these parties are actively poaching people from other parties to mm. not only to bulk up their number, but also to get their voter base in the certain regions as well. So that is, that again is typical old school Thai style politics. This phenomenon of siphoning other politicians from other parties. There's, of course, there's also a lot of money involved in that as well. Sure. So that, that is something that has never changed before. So, um, and, that, and that is ironic because that goes to show that the military is not above playing politics, mm-hmm. as we just mentioned. Yeah. You know, Bayut himself, who came to power saying, I'm not a politician. Yeah. Four years later, being there with a, with a, with a, with a suit saying, yeah, I might run for office. <laughs> He hasn't really. He's he's been wavering a little he, he's, bit. He's he's meandering at the moment. Yeah. He's meandering at the moment, but you know we will see in September or uh, around that time whether or not he's going to run for office or not. Mm-hmm. So, but he seems that he's not really against that idea anymore. Yeah. Yeah. What are your your personal feelings when you're covering the news on these sort of start stops on democratic processes or like infringes on democratic rights? Obviously, as a journalist, I have to take my own feelings out of it. Obviously, obviously, I have to can, cannot cannot be uh, cannot be blinded by my own bias or mm-hmm. my own feelings about certain things. But then again, things are so blatantly obvious that they need to, they they don't need to be sh- uh, pointed out. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when we just say these facts, mm-hmm. then it is very obvious how things uh, what things are up in Thailand. For example, when a fully appointed legislative assembly. Uh, that is a point that, that which members are all appointed by the military government passes a law with a almost complete majority mm-hmm. that would ensure 
the policies of the military government to be set in stone for the next 20 years. Mm. It's kind of obvious. I mean, there's nothing much more to add to that. Right, right. Yeah, or it's like their their power will extend beyond whatever political power party comes into power next. Exactly. I mean, there there are, it, it's uh, and that is something that I that I also said on air, and that basically, like in this example, this twenty year strategy bill is you are putting up guardrails for any elected governments, and that, that uh, any policy must be within these guardrails, and anything that goes beyond that is uh, could be punishable. Mm. You know, be it with uh, with a uh, to the most extreme uh, extreme option would be impeachment. Yeah. Yep. So, I think I think I think our viewer are are smart enough to figure out what's going on here in Thailand. I mean, I don't I don't need to spoon fed every single detail. And um, it when you is, say your viewer, you mean the regional viewers, Thai viewers, everyone who watches Channel News Asia. Everyone who watches Channel News Asia. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we have we have viewers here in Thailand. We have viewers all across uh, Southeast Asia and beyond as well. So yeah, I mean, people. Um, there is no other news outlet, no other TV news network that covers Thailand as much as we do. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, because because if you look at the other channels, um, they are. I mean, we all know that Thailand doesn't appear often in the in world media. You know, it, something has to be something very tragic has to happen, or something very spectacular. Thai you know, cave kids. Like the cave, like the cave story, <laughs> or something very silly. Yeah, involving elephants most of the time. Yeah, yep. Damn elephants. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're not that channel. <laughs> we we don't ha- we don't have to put up a viral video of an elephant every now and then to mention Thailand yeah. or to name check Thailand. So yeah, I mean, it, um, to to c- covering Thailand is interesting. Covering Thai politics is even more interesting. It has its challenges. It is not impossible to do that, mm-hmm. especially when you're in foreign media. You have some liberties that domestic media, d- domestic media don't. Mm-hmm. But then, on the other hand, I also noticed that the media scene in general is becoming more and more critical as mm-hmm. well. Like it, the domestic media scene. Yeah, do, everybody. Oh, okay. yeah, is becoming more critical of the military government, not because the military is letting the, its guard down, which which they are. I mean, they are trying to soften the image up a little bit. But then also they know is that four years is a very long time and um, they are now being judged by what they deliver and what they don't. They mm. can't blame the previous government anymore for any mistakes or faults or failures. Yeah. What um, do you think that foreign reporters get wrong about Thailand a lot when, when reporting on the political scene here? I think there's a difference between those colleagues that are here for a while and know um, what they're reporting on and also know the nuances and can also bring that into the work. But then there are also those colleagues that always come here every once in a while to report on Thai politics. And that's, I don't want to necessarily say that they get it wrong, but there are sometimes some gross simplifications whenever they're trying to explain Thai politics. I mean, we heard about the simplified explanation of, you know, rich urbanite yellow shirts and poor rural red shirts. I mean, there's there's some truth in there, but I think the political spectrum is much more diverse than that. Mm-hmm. You know, especially on the yellow shirt side, there, 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 there are so many different, very diverse groups that have some overlap, but once you drill down, you'll see that they are quite different. And just as much on the other side as on the red shirt side, that there are people that are um, very concerned and very... Um, they are very much proponent for liberal democracy, but have a big problem with Thaksin, for example. Sure. 
Mm. You know, just as much as the other way around that people are very pro-tax and doesn't don't really care about the democratic system. So th I think that in itself is very um, sometimes you know I think the nuances there sometimes get lost. And also, well, you know, we just paint them in yellow shirts, red shirts, yeah, like yeah. the colors, and that's it. And then, of course, you know, when especially for somebody who works in TV or radio, a dude who doesn't have very much airtime, yeah, uh, how how do you gonna explain this whole thing that has been going on for almost twenty years now in just a couple <laughs> minutes? Uh, I mean, you, you, I mean, I always, I always like to, uh, I always like to joke whenever somebody who wants to say, hey, what's going on in Thailand? I mean, what's what's the deal with that? I said, okay, how many hours you got? Yeah. <laughs> so do you think that people are, like, looking forward to this next election? Like, are they do they want the next election to happen? Or is it, you know, are they afraid that it could lead to something else? Well, it depends on who exactly, right? Yeah, I mean, of I mean, course. Um, I mean, for many, I think for most people, the elections are just, just a means to an end. Mm -hmm. You know, um, just a means to an end as in, uh, the political process. I'm not even talking about the democratic process. It's just the political process as a whole. It's just, you know, f uh, for many, it's just some form of ritual in that sense, you okay. know. Um, but are people looking forward to an election? I think, uh, let me put it this way. I think m most people are looking forward to some change in the political system because mm -hmm. we've, been, we've been this way for the past four years. And people have seen what what has happened in the past four years, mm -hmm. and people I think are looking forward to be given the chance to either change it or to uh, to maintain that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's the most neutral way I can put it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what are what is your sort of hope for what's to come? I just hope that. The political discourse here in Thailand will be more decided within democratic institutions and boundaries, mm -hmm. not in the streets anymore, unless it's necessary, and definitely not by tanks anymore. What do you mean by within democratic institutions? Sorry. Well, when uh, so basically in the parliament, in the Senate, mm -hmm. you know, given that they work and given that they also originate from democratic uh, roots, that so-called independent agencies are also truly independent in what they're doing and not have a, have a political agenda coming in. Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, the political discourse is a competition of ideas and not a competition of personalities as well. And that simply, if there's going to be resistance necessary that this resistance will be done in a fashion that um, is being constructive and not uh, destructive. Because what we have seen so far, that any kind of resistance or political resistance, and meaning the, the yellow shirt and red shirt protests, that they have been mostly in an obstructionist fashion. Mm. You know? It's kind of going back to what you were saying about how it's still sort of a very not mature democracy and so... Democracy in Thailand has never had the time to mature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, that is something that everybody needs to keep in mind. Never, it hasn't been given the time, and then at the same time, nobody has the attention span mm -hmm. to let it grow that much. It's uh, like it's preteen phase. So it hasn't even left the crib yet. <laughs> Are you? Um, I guess it depends on any given day, since you work on these. You know, issues every single day. Mm. But are you optimistic, pessimistic, neutral? I've What's never it? been an optimist. First of all, that's the thing. <laughs> I think, I think, I think that's uh, that, but that's more my personal self. That you know, 
if I'm being too optimistic, I'm setting myself a disappointment. Sure. <laughs> um, it's very like Asian parent of us to say that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yeah, but also very like noir European as well. That's the other side oh, of me yeah. talking. <laughs> That's funny. No, but but try not to be a pessimist. To be very honest with you, I mean, and especially I try not to be a, too cynical about this as well, because you know, I think that. If you're getting cynical on something, that really does, that really means that you don't really care about it anymore. You know, you just simply hand wave it and said, "Yeah, Sylvie, that's how it's always been. That's it's always been that." You know, and you don't really even try to see the nuances. What's actually different this time? You just say, "It's been always like that." You mm-hmm. know. So I think I think I think that's I think that's my best answer that I can give. That is just um, that is it, that is a daily struggle against cynicism, mm-hmm. and that I try not to become cynical about these things. Yeah. You know about how things are, and um, I have to admit that it hasn't been easy, especially the past four years. Uh, seeing that the political discourse hasn't really changed that much, mm-hmm. but uh, on the other hand, um, you know, with the prospect of elections coming next year, maybe um, there's there's at least some silver lining that. Well, things are definitely going to change one way or the other. We just don't know how and who's going to be the face of that change. Thanks so much to Saksit Sayasomba for explaining all of that to me. And also for talking to me about how the Thai Cave Kid story would be made into a movie for Hollywood. White backpackers lost in a cave in Thailand. Oh, oh, terrible. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Thank you to Pailin Waddell for helping to translate Toxin's speech, and to AsiaWorks for letting me record in their studio. Once again, I gotta give a shout out to Jared Ferry for providing the theme song that plays in the beginning of the episode. And playing me out right now is a song which I will bow. It translates to light subjects, and it's by Body Slam. They're a Thai rock band whose lead singer, Toon, became super popular last year because he ran from the very, very southernmost province of Thailand all the way up north in 55 days. It was insane. You are listening to the fourth and final episode. This has been so much fun for me. I'm Dean Hern Chen, signing off. Thank you so much for listening to Southeast Asia, etc. Bye.